Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lowry, and I'm going to leave the other intro that you're going to hear right after this one on that I did on the live broadcast because I said some nice things about some people and I liked it. But I wanted to preface that interview or that intro in this show with a warning. Uh, we are going to talk about some serious things in addiction, some serious opinions, etc., etc. So, um, I promise you we're going to be talking about some things. We talk about the definition of disease and addiction. We talk about the current model of treatment. We talk about practitioners practicing out of their scope. We talk about chemical incarceration is what we call it. Uh, we really, really talk about some things positive and negative in this world. But uh, this is one of my favorite conversations and topics to discuss on the Cognitive Rampage. And we are lucky enough to have Dr. Joan Collins. I hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your cognitive rampage. For those of you joining us live and soon we'll be piling in over the next, uh, I don't know, 30 seconds or so, our guest today is Dr. Joan Collins. Uh, we have talked about her on the podcast with uh, some friends of mine, Brooke and Eric Kimmer. If you wanted to go back and listen to uh, that podcast, I would suggest it. Uh, it's a wonderful lead-in and a story that led me to the wonderful Dr. Joan Collins. And, uh, you know, I could probably give you a intro that would not be long enough. Um, I would consider Dr. Joan Collins a maven in this industry uh, of recovery and wellness. And, you know, just I, I would call it just serving other people because uh, we can call it practitioner, we can call it doctor or whatever you want to call it. But I think from a mental health standpoint, uh, in a medical standpoint, what what we really do is we serve other people, and uh, Joan has been serving other people for a long time in this business uh, out of her soul, her spirit, and her uh, heart and her mind, uh, but uh, it's wonderful to have her on. She is the founder of Artesian Recovery and Wellness in Port St. Lucie, or Artesian Wellness and Recovery, one of those two. I'll get it backwards. She'll correct me, I'm sure, uh, but she is... Um, that is one of the founder things we're going to talk about. She has a uh, holistic approach to recovery, which is something everyone knows that I'm a gigantic fan of. So, um, you know what? Let's uh, let's get to the podcast. As you see her joining us uh, on the bottom right hand of your screen there, Dr. Joan Collins. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? I'm glad to be here. Oh, it's wonderful. I, um, I, I did a nice little intro for you. What I'll end up doing, no more than likely... Uh, is after this conversation, who knows how long it'll go and how much I know I'm going to learn, uh, I'll end up probably going back and doing a uh, a whole nother 10-minute <laughs> intro of you uh, for the podcast itself. Okay. That will be good. All right. Um, so, you know, I, I talked a little bit about the Artesian Wellness Center, the recovery, et cetera, and, and we'll get to that, which I want to, but... Um, you can probably understand from the standpoint too. I like to get to know the person before we really get into the story. And can you, where does Dr. Joan Collins come from and what's the story? Well, I would have to go back many years, um, at least probably 50 years. Um, the, my origin into looking at things from a holistic standpoint had to do with a family member. Uh, actually, it was my husband who one day um, came home from work and he said, you know, I don't remember the trip home. 
Uh, so I naturally started asking him questions. Um, you know, what do you mean you don't remember the trip home? And concurrent to that, I had just begun working at the Community Mental Health Center. I'm a registered nurse. I was a nurse at that time. And in the field of psychology, um, I had had a lot of experience from a nursing standpoint. And also, um, it was the beginning phases of the uh, Community Mental Health Center startups in the state of Illinois. We had tremendous training. And, and however, everything was being approached uh, from a psychological standpoint. And I had just read some information about blood sugar. And at that time, low blood sugar was not looked at um, medically from a diagnosis standpoint. It really wasn't being recognized in the medical industry. Um, and I, coming out of that field, I was quite intrigued by that. And uh, so I began looking at that with my husband and, um, and looking Joe, at what symptoms he was having. Doc, I hate to interrupt you. Um, when you said what it is you were studying, it bless the virtual podcast. It, it actually cut you out transformer. So uh, if you could just repeat what it is you, you began to study then. I was at, at the Community Mental Health Center because we were a startup uh, organization, uh, mental health centers being started in the communities. Uh, versus the state hospital model when somebody was mentally ill. Um, they were basically sending all of the mentally ill, quote-unquote, patients out into the communities to be treated rather than the state hospital model. And the studies that we were undergoing at that time where they were sending all of us to um, tremendous trainings from a psychological standpoint and so I got to work in the field of counseling, doing group therapy, uh, all of those modalities at that time. But on my own, I was starting to evaluate what was happening with my husband from this, what appeared to be a blood sugar problem or a hypoglycemia problem. And his symptoms were similar to those I was seeing uh, for the patients and or clients who were coming to see us. And so what I started to do in the mental health center was to do a history. They were coming with stated, recognizable psychological symptoms, anxiety, depression, agitation, difficulty in their relationships. But I started doing a history of what biochemical issues they were also having. Um, and when I did that, it appeared to me that they were having these hypoglycemic symptoms, mm -hmm. the same as my husband was having. And I had put him on a diet and the recognized diet at that time was a high protein diet. And it took him off of the simple carbs and the sugars and that type of thing. And he, he achieved tremendous results uh, in terms of his mood and how he was feeling and his energy and this not remembering the trip home, as that's where our story started, is, you know, his brain function. And the same thing started happening with the patients or clients who were coming to the Community Mental Health Center um, after, you know, identifying what issues they had. We were looking at the biochemical things that were happening in their lives. 
When, when and, you, can you, um, for the uh, for people listening too, if you could to explain uh, a little bit on the biochemical and what you mean by that. The biochemical meaning, uh, just in looking at biochemistry, just from a blood sugar standpoint, you've got three major organs that are involved in blood sugar: your pancreas, your adrenal glands, your liver. And when a diet, a person takes in a simple carbohydrate diet, if that's done enough, over time, the pancreas begins to put out large amounts of insulin. And so what happens, the blood sugar drops, it drops lower than it should be, uh, because then you don't have enough circulating glucose to go to the brain so that the brain functions well. And as a result, the person is symptomatic. Depression starts to happen, agitation, anxiety. And the body then recognizes this low blood sugar as really an emergency. So the adrenal glands put adrenaline out to raise the blood sugar. But when you've got that hormone adrenaline circulating in your, in your um, bloodstream, you're now going to be agitated. You're going to be anxious. You're going to feel nervous. The person's not going to recognize why they're feeling anxious or nervous, except to look at maybe what circumstances are happening in their lives. And the uh, blood sugar then does go back up as a result of that adrenaline. And it stimulates the liver to then uh, put glycogen out, which is converted back into glucose. So the blood sugar goes back up. The body does a, a great job in trying to take care of itself to make sure uh, it doesn't run into trouble. So those organs all are working to overcome what we've done to ourselves. So the blood sugar goes back up only for that cycle to repeat again. And a person who has serious low blood sugar problems is going to go through that cycle many times every two to two and a half hours throughout the day. Um, and that person's likely going to crave sugar when the blood sugar starts to drop. They're going to be driven to pick up breads, pastas, um, candy, cakes, ice cream, those kinds of things, which just perpetuate this cycle. Well, what happens with hypoglycemia is, in, in the case of what we were working with at that time, people in the mental health center, their symptoms are manifesting as emotional issues. So it appears to them that my life is not in, not working. My relationships are in disrepair. Um, I'm not able to manage my life. And so they start to look at receiving therapy to resolve that. But what I found through the years is it becomes very important to address that biochemistry and here's the most interesting thing out of that story. 85% of those clients, after that first session, I would send them home on a diet. And I would say to them, we're not going to address your communication issues, your relationship issues, until you've done something about your nutrition. And 85% of those clients would come back and they would simply state this. I have the same problems, but I can handle them now. Wow. That's, that's huge. powerful. Wow. That, that is, 
Ooh. I mean, it, it, that's more than saying, in my opinion, that's more than saying I don't have any more problems. That's better than that, in my opinion. Exactly. I can handle my issues. I can handle my circumstances. The um, addition to that, what I did is I did a small research study with that community mental health center. I was able to get the cooperation of three physicians in the community who actually did five-hour glucose tolerance tests then. And so all of those clients who continue to come to us, we found, again, that 85% figure, they had classical hypoglycemia, uh, different than what had been being stated in the medical community that it really didn't exist. And in a mental health center, it was coming, it was coming to our attention because the emotional symptoms were manifesting. And the same thing, Adam, is true. Um, with the addiction community. You know, one of the things in, in working with our addiction population is we have something we call relapse prevention. And you're working with the client to recognize when they're tired, recognize when they're anxious, when they're agitated, when they're having sleep difficulties, because those become triggers to a person to relapse from an addiction standpoint but Adam, how much better if you can address the, that biochemistry and for the most part, stop those relapse triggers as opposed to just recognizing them and attempting to control your life by recognizing them. Let's stop those symptoms by changing what's happening from a biochemistry standpoint, what's happening at a cellular level, what's happening at a brain level by changing what they're doing from a dietary standpoint, from a nutritional standpoint. I, it is all I can do to contain myself right now because inside I'm going like, yeah, woo, that's it. <laughs> right. man. You know, I'm behind you. You know, I am, I am ecstatic about this approach. That's why I talked about it so much when uh, Eric brought this to, uh, to me, um, when he sought, sought me out actually. And um, thank you for one, doing that and taking that approach and doing what you're doing, uh, because uh, frankly, I'd ask you, you know, obviously you're the, uh, the smart one here, but would you say that currently most treatment centers today in addiction, what they're really treating are symptoms. They're just treating the symptoms. Uh, even the addiction or the use itself is really just a symptom. Yes, absolutely. Um, even the well, to address, address your question about what the majority of addiction treatment centers are doing, the majority have viewed addiction as a, um, they've viewed it as a biochemical issue, yes. But the approach is a psychosocial issue. Let's, you know, let's change that person's behavior. Let's put them in therapy. Let's do the individual um, groups. Let's do the or the individual sessions and do the group therapy. Let's do the twelve-step method. Um, you know where everybody is taking steps to change their life, and that's all important. But the biggest missing piece is this biochemistry. You know, I'd like I'd ask our audience to think of the very worst day they have ever had. You know, just feeling down, um, out of sorts with the world, depressed or agitated, anxious. And then 
ask yourself, how successful are you going to be in just changing your attitude? It's very difficult to do that if your biochemistry is just off because the, the effect on the brain um, is to overcome that from a control standpoint is Hold on, Joan. You still there? Oh, whoa. Joan, you still there? Hold on. And um, the, you know, what their stated rates are is the success is somewhere between 5 and 8%. So the recidivism is, is horrendous. People spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay for treatment. Either they're paying for it or their insurances are paying for it only to repeat this 10 times, 50 times, 100 times. We had a client here who had been in treatment over 100 times, a 79-year-old lady. This is not success as far as I'm concerned. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, thank you. You're a superhero. I, the, the uh, oh, Finally. Um, when I went on Joe Rogan and shouted this out, I got one. I was berated by people when I was talking about this. But uh, to back up further in all the way back, you know, you talked about the psychosocial approach being the main approach, which is what you explained behavioral um, behavioral changes, mental changes, people, places, things. And all of these things can bring some success, but generally doesn't last. And they generally just go right to that pharmacology approach. Exactly. And the AMA, the American Medical Association, states that addiction is a chronic relapsing brain disorder. Now, I would agree that it is a chronic disorder and it's a disorder of the brain, but it doesn't have to be a relapsing disorder. Okay. It becomes a relapsing disorder because, as you stated, the traditional approach is to give a medication designed to control the symptoms. And most of those symptoms are brain symptoms. They are a manifestation that the neurotransmitters in the brain are not working, are either operating at a deficit or they are at an imbalanced state. And our approach is, as some of the colleagues that we have, um, our approach is to work at repairing the neurons. Neurons are brain cells. Brain cells produce a chemical called a neurotransmitter. A neurotransmitter is simply a chemical that is used by the brain in order for one neuron or brain cell to communicate with another brain cell. It's done by a chemical means. Now, um, there is an electrical aspect to that communication process. But for our purposes, let's say that neurotransmitter is a chemical. And when the brain has been mistreated, basically by our standard American diet or the use of drugs and alcohol, um, and or not being fed uh, the right nutrition to fuel that cell 
so it can produce a neurotransmitter, uh, we're going to have symptoms. If the neurotransmitters are not working, um, you're going to have anxiety. You're going to have uh, agitation. You're going to get depressed. You're not going to be able to sleep. You may have obsessive compulsive uh, behaviors. You may, um, and just for our listening audience, if you happen to have issues going on in your life, you go to bed, you're trying to sleep, and that thought races over and over again, and you try to get that thought stopped. Likely, if you can't get that stopped, a couple things can be happening. One is you may have a serotonin deficiency, okay? You don't have enough of that neurotransmitter, and or your adrenal glands, because you've stressed yourself out so much, are in the, in a, it's like you've got your accelerator in the stuck on position for your adrenal glands. And so you've got adrenaline or cortisol pumping over and over again, and you can't get the thoughts stopped. So you can have two problems. One is you can have serotonin deficit, or you can have a, um, an adrenal gland that is, is pumping adrenaline for a variety of reasons. Could be a blood sugar problem. And that's what we do at our center is we assess for all those factors so that we're working on a, a very natural approach to repair rather than um, suppress the symptoms. Um, for example, if you've got a serotonin deficit, somebody may give you uh, an antidepressant. All right. If you have a GABA deficit, that's one of the neurotransmitters. Somebody is liable to give you a Valium or a Xanax, okay? Well, the very unfortunate thing about being given a Xanax or a Valium is those substances are so highly addictive. Within four to six weeks, we see people addicted to those prescription medications. The other unfortunate thing about those drugs to treat that anxiety is that it actually changes the architecture of the brain. And so the repair process is now even more protracted than if you'd never had that Xanax or Valium or Clonopin um, in the first place. Um, we love to get clients when they first come to us after they've gone through the detox is to get them on our nutrient program before they've had the medications. Now, if they've had medications, then we're going to work with them to help get them off of those medications. We never advise somebody to completely go off those medications until we have had them on a good nutrient program so that their brain and body can start to, to deal with those changes. And it is, it's a process, but it is absolutely possible for people to get well. Our bodies are designed to get well. They are self-regenerating. They are set up that if you cut yourself and you leave that cut alone, you don't get it dirty, that tissue repairs itself. That cut heals. It closes up. We're and it's doing it because our bodies are so marvelously made that they can self-repair. And then if we give it the right kind of material, the right repair material, it works. And it works for the client who's addicted or has emotional problems, or has other um, chronic degenerative diseases. We're superheroes. 
Pardon me? Say I, that again? I said we're superheroes. When you really think about that, our, our cut heels, we get better naturally. Ah. Like we're, we're like superheroes. Yes. Yes. That's one of my favorite things to say. There, all right, you dropped so much, Joan. We're going to, I love it that we, I don't have any time to worry about. But um, all the way back, I, I write in my book a uh, very short line as, look, you can go on with all these behavioral changes, thought changes, spiritual changes, even, et cetera. But if your brain and body is not functioning as it should, I say that none of those things can operate beyond to what your body is holding it captive and holding it captive to those symptoms. And so often we are sold through commercials, through just even research that things like anxiety, depression are who we are and even addiction are who we are and what we become in diseases rather than things that we're being affected by uh, and that we can attack. And if we don't stop it, if we don't start at the biological level, like you're saying, then we're just treating symptoms. We're just putting band-aids over top of a, a broken home. You know, sometimes I say that um, if you have the flu, that's a viral infection. So if we treat your sore throat and cough and then you go on, do you still have the flu? Well, of course you do. And, okay. and, and then associating relapse and treating essentially anxiety, depression, and addiction is just treating the sore throat and cough. Meanwhile, you got the flu. Exactly. And the other thing, Adam, is um, the reason we got that flu in the first place is still there. And so how much better that we go back and we find out what we're doing to ourselves that may have perpetrated that flu in the first place or that cold. Um, one of the, the parts of the manifestation of a cold or flu is the body is attempting to get rid of, yes, there may be a virus there, okay? But it's attempting to get rid of toxic waste and toxic substances that are already residing in the body. And because we've been putting the bad things into our body, our body has stored a lot of junk, a lot of toxicity. And so one of the ways that the body starts to try to get rid of that is through a manifestation of a cold, um, through a flu, that type of thing. Um, and yes, those organisms, the viruses do exist. Now, we can do a lot about trying to uh, clean up the body, uh, get the body so it's not so inflamed, get the brain so it's not so inflamed. Uh, so that the environment for those viruses and bacteria and funguses don't have a place to exist. They, those organisms thrive. Um, it's almost like a Petri dish. If we have caused our body to be inflamed with our bad diet, uh, those organisms love to be in that environment and they will proliferate. They will grow. They will multiply. And so let's create the environment so they can't survive. And that's preventative. You know, I did a video the other day on comparing the idea of preventative health versus reactive health. And we all know that medically and mentally, we have created a reactive mental and medical health treatment as opposed to a preventative one, which is what you're talking about with beginning with sleep, nutrition, the proper uh, biochemical uh, balance. So every, you know, everything can function right. And, um, you know, before we go on too far, I got a few more um, 
things to build on. But I wanted to ask you, why is no one talking about the recidivism rates that are awful that repeat themselves? I, I mentioned it in my book very briefly, but um, you know, within my first three months at my clinical job, um, you would see almost as, almost an eighty five, ninety five percent return. I mean, the place I was working called them alumni. Uh, and frequent flyers even, you know, to, to make fun of it. And no one changes. It doesn't seem to be changing it at a federal level, at a state level, at any Medicare, Medicaid requirements. It, nothing seems to be changing geared toward all of this research that you basically have just explained, which is uh, almost a, re- a reverse with 80 to 85% recovery. Yes. Well, when we look at where the... Um Follow the dollars, follow where the funding is for continuing a support, an allopathic direction, allopathic meaning standard medical approach. Um, There are billions, if not trillions of dollars being spent uh, to support that continued approach. And so um, our approach is happening when a few people finally get fed up and say, you know what, <laughs> this isn't working. But if you just go back to standard medical practice, if we look at in the United States alone, we spend over $4 trillion to treat disease. $4 trillion. That's almost 27% of the gross domestic product. Oh, my right? God, people. I know. It's a quarter of the, all the dollars that are being spent for every product in the United States. 85% of the healthcare dollars, and I, I hesitate to call them healthcare because it's, because it's not true healthcare, it's medical care, um, are being spent on what we call chronic degenerative disease. Now, that's an important term to, for us to remember, for our audience to remember. One more Chronic time. degenerative diseases are diseases like diabetes, heart disease, arthritis, cancer. I include addiction in that, um, psoriasis, all the you know, autoimmune diseases. Chronic degenerative diseases are diseases of lifestyle. That means we are doing something that causes that disease to happen. Whether it's our intake from a a bad diet, the standard American diet, the anacronym being the SAD diet, uh, or environmental factors, the electromagnetic energy coming from cell towers. What about about stress? Stress is another big factor in um, the body breaking down from a biochemical standpoint. So those are all lifestyle diseases. If they are lifestyle diseases, remember $4 trillion, 85%, we can change the lifestyle that causes that self-regenerating body to get well. And we have magnificent examples of that at our treatment center, not just from an addiction standpoint, but diabetes, um, low platelet counts, uh, hep C, uh, you name um, diet, just all of the different kinds of diseases. When we use a biochemical nutritional approach, they not only 
stop the post-acute withdrawal syndrome and, you know, and they, their anxiety starts to go away, their sleep returns, these diseases go away as well. The body is regenerating itself. Now, back to the dollars, okay? That $4 trillion pays for an awfully lot of medicine and hospital care and um, x-rays and diagnostic uh, what would happen if everybody said, I'm fed up with all this other treatment not working, okay? And I'm going to change my diet and I'm going to exercise and I'm going to change what I'm doing from a stress pattern standpoint. Those dollars would go away from funding the pharmaceutical, uh, the medical industry, and it is definitively an industry. Now, I am not saying that we don't need medicine, but what we need is we need acute care medicine. You can bet if I break a bone, I want the best diagnostic equipment available to, to see what's happening. I want the best orthopedist. I want the best surgeon if I you know, have to have a repair. But I don't want to go treat for myself, a chronic degenerative disease using allopathic medicine, because all that will do is will perpetuate that disease process. It heals nothing. It does not cure that disease. It can't because the medications, there is not a medication. And I just take a very strong position on this, Adam. There is not a medication that is not toxic or poisonous to the system. What it does in many cases is it suppresses your own enzyme system. So that in itself is a problem, okay, in order to suppress a symptom, all right? So my symptom may go away. I may control my blood sugar level if I'm diabetic with a medication, but my diabetes is absolutely still there, all right? And the impact on the pancreas, which is the organ that produces insulin, on my adrenal glands, the organ that's producing that hormone, adrenaline, working in the emergency when my blood sugar is going up and down, and my liver gets um, overworked because it's storing that glycogen, which is stored glucose. And we all need that glucose, but we don't need that glucose in the form that we get it by the simple sugars that we put or, you know, that people put into their bodies. Um, it just, there is, when I look at the clients, um, and maybe if we have time, I can talk about a client or two and what happened for them as a result of the change in their nutrition. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. You got all the time you want, <laughs> Dr. Joan. <laughs> you got all the time you want. I mean, uh, the, I have a few things I want to also go back to here. Is I love your strong stance, by the way. Thank you for the strong stance. And I'm and just to back up another strong stance. I'm going to go behind you with something that I state uh, once in a while that I get flack for, but um, I think it's true. When a practitioner, a doctor, when your family physician prescribes antidepressants for you, your child, or any other psychological or pharma, uh, pharmacology type approach to your mental health, when they do that, they are practicing out of their scope of practice 
And if they talk to you about anything nutrition, they are practicing out of their scope of practice. Only now are young physicians coming out of school with even one nutrition class when most doctors and MDs did not even take one nutrition class in their training, much less have expanded any idea into the psychological and counseling and mental health world. And in five to ten minutes or less, you cannot perform a biopsychosocial history long enough to give somebody an antidepressant that could make them want to kill themselves. So when a doctor, do not go to your family practitioner to ask about antidepressants, etc., is what I urge. I don't think that they're the ones that should be doing it uh, personally. So I'll back you with uh, another strong stance that I take some flack for myself. Now, this isn't every physician. I know this. There's physicians out there that have extensive training in all of what I mentioned. Uh, but I'm talking about your general practitioner for the most part that all of those deadly commercials refer you to. Absolutely. Um, the the good news is that as physicians practice and they're being faced with a patient who comes in, and there are, this is happening frequently now, uh, the patients are coming in and saying, doctor, I don't know what to do. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Um, and all the ads say, well, go see your doctor. Okay. So they do. They go see their doctor when you're experiencing these symptoms. And the doctor wants to be the helper. That's many times why they went into medicine. So they will prescribe that antidepressant, that, um, that um, anxiety medication. The problem is, and I'll, I'll revert back to what we do, okay? Um, when I'm doing an assessment with someone, it takes me two to three hours to gain the full amount of information that I need to know about that person before we will even work toward recommending um, a nutrient that can be specific for a certain neurotransmitter deficit or a nutrient that can help that person to reduce their inflammation. Um, the, the issue is, is that how do you know, how can a physician know in five minutes or 10 minutes what the source of that anxiety is, for example, all right? It could be that their thyroid is out of whack, okay? It could be that they have toxic metals in their system, mercury, for example, which can create a lot of agitation, um, high copper levels. Um, I've seen people... Uh, be psychotic if their copper is just a little bit out of out of its normal range. All right. And so how can you even know what the source is? And that's the problem. We need to get to why that person has that anxiety in the first place. There are a lot of reasons that it can be there. Why is the person depressed? Um, if I give somebody an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication, and it's because their blood sugar's bottoming out, that's wrong. That's a wrong solution for the problem. Why not work with that person to fix what the problem is? Now, the good news is many physicians who are dissatisfied also with the lack of success they're having in treating that patient are beginning to look in this direction of integrative health or functional medicine, um, 
or complementary medicine. That's another term. Um, and there are associations that have cropped up for physicians to attend um, nutritional uh, approaches. Uh, ACAM, that's a complementary medicine approach. So they're gaining additional training and they're starting to introduce. And I would advise you know, our listening audience, if you're wanting to rely on, on a physician, a medical doctor, and it's good to have a medical doctor for those episodes that become emergencies that you might need somebody, that you find somebody who identifies themselves as an integrative MD or a complementary MD, um, complementary medicine, or many chiropractors, and they went through their day of being ostracized by the medical community. But many of the chiropractors also have additional training in nutrition. They've had, had training in acupuncture, which is now becoming an accepted modality for, for treating pain, which is very important in today's arena because pain is, pain is at epidemic proportions now. And there's a lot of reason for that. Um, and it's not just because of injury. Um, it's because our diets are so inflammatory. Um, they're so acidic. And when you talk about an acidic diet, if you think of, if you just think of battery acid and you put foods in your body that are acidic, just like taking in battery acid, that stuff burns and it hurts. So you have people who are hurting, they're hurting in their joints, their head is hurting, their back is hurting, um, their bodies are in disrepair. And so they also end up going to their physicians and getting pain medication for the pain. But why not get to the source of what that pain is about? Why is the body inflamed? What can we do to stop it? And the solutions, Adam, are in many cases are so simple. Um, and that, when we go back to the addicted client, um, they are among the most inflamed people that I know. Not only is their body inflamed, but their brain is inflamed as well. How in the world can a person, from a psychosocial standpoint, utilize those tools when the body and the brain stay inflamed if we don't address that? Now, the good news, there are some addiction treatment centers that are using nutritional approaches. Um, there are a few who call themselves holistic. They're adding modalities like yoga. They may have a little bit of chiropractic. They may have a little bit of massage that they have added to the program. And the diets are somewhat improved um, than uh, maybe they were in the past. But if you go into those treatment centers, what you'll still see, you'll see bowls of candy sitting out on their tables for them to pick up at any time. They have the vending machines, and the vending machines are loaded with the sweet drinks. Um, clients, when they first come to us, they're drinking all of the energy drinks. They're loaded with sugar. They're loaded with huge amounts of caffeine. They're a drug. And so if we support somebody in addiction treatment, um, continuing their drug use, even though it's legal, sugar is a drug. It impairs those neurons those opiate receptors in the brain 
that those that sugar plugs into those opiate receptor sites and the brain responds as if it's an opiate. How are we going to help our client get well if we're if a treatment center supports them and still having large amounts of sugar? And they're, now, they're, they almost perpetuate it. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was saying they almost perpetuate. And if anybody's worked in those clinics, they know the sound of the crackling Dorito bag, the cookies, the coffee, the, I mean, oh, not to mention the cigarettes. So coffee, cigarettes, sweets, and sugar in rehab. And then they say, yeah, we're holistic because we let you stretch out, do some yoga, and we have a nutritional person watch what the cafeteria is handing you all that processed food anyway. Right. Absolutely right, Adam. And the challenge here is we have a public that has been inundated with um, advertisement that basically says, here is your approach. Nobody is addressing on television, for the most part, with the exception of programs like Dr. Oz, that kind of thing. Now, that's good news. That really is good news in terms of people starting to hear that maybe the diet does have something with how bad I feel or um, that I can do something to change. There are There's progress being made. And Adam, you are one of those peoples. You're a guru in this and taking this message out to the public. Um, well, I, I appreciate that. But, you know, I'll tell you, um, isn't it funny how people go, wait a minute. You mean eating the natural foods I'm supposed to and not chemically poisoning myself with any kind of additives and things is actually working? Whoa. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> but you know what? When we boil this down, okay, this body is made up of trillions of cells. Each organ is made up of millions of cells all with a special job to do, a special function. And that cell is a microcosm of that organ as it is of the whole body. That cell has to have the right fuel to work. That cell has a mitochondria in it. It's a battery. And that cell has to be, that battery has to be powered. If you don't put the right kind of fuel in that cell, that cell is going to wear out, it's going to die, or it's going to malfunction, and thus goes the rest of that organ. So the pancreas stops working really well, the liver stops working really well, the kidneys stop working really well. And here is the issue, okay? If you just look at the disease of cancer alone, Okay. And you asked an audience, I do a lot of public speaking to fairly large groups. And you asked that audience, how many in here have had cancer? Hands will go up everywhere. When were you diagnosed with that? When did you get your cancer? And they'll give you a date. They'll give you a diagnosis date. It was December 21st, 1963. Now, when did they get that cancer? That diagnosis occurred because they had enough abnormal cells to produce a lump or a tumor. And 
However, that cancer has been growing for 15 to 20 years prior to the manifestation of that lump and or that tumor. So that person's had cancer for 20 years or 15 years. And then finally had the diagnosis, all right, without symptoms, all right? So that part person had that disease process going on all that time. And we're doing things for the body to break down. So in order for that person's cells to start becoming cancerous, all right, or multiplying, that person was putting in wrong kind of fuel for those cells to finally say, you know what, I don't like this fuel that this guy's putting in me or this gal's putting in me. I can't work this way and I want to survive. So I'm going to switch how I function to a cell that starts to put up a protective mechanism and starts functioning different than a normal cell. That's a cancer cell. Okay. And it comes about from the wrong kinds of fuels that we put in our body. One of the, the things I say in, in some of my classes, I will ask the group. In fact, I'll take them back to when they're 16 years old and I'll say to them, okay, you are 16 years old. You can return to that age. Let me ask you, this is your 16th birthday. And if I were to give you a brand new car, in fact, I'm going to give you a brand new car. What kind of car is that? And everybody's got that perfect kind of car in mind that they want. And I will tell them, okay, how are you going to take care of that car? What kind of fuel are you going to put in it? Oh, I'm going to put the best fuel in it. I'm going to make sure it's perfect. I'm going to make sure it's the best grade. Okay, how often are you going to change the oil? Oh, I'm going to do that all the time. And then I tell them, now, here's the key. This is the only car you're ever going to have. You're not going to have another car the rest of your life. So tell me again, how are you going to take care of that car? And they repeat it. I'm going to do absolutely the very best by that car. I'm going to keep it clean. I'm going to put the right fuel in it. And so we use that as an analogy that we somehow haven't gotten that message with this vehicle, that we're not putting the best fuel in it. That cell requires the best fuel. Unfortunately, our food industry has, we have done a lot of, uh, of wrong things. First with our agricultural system, uh, where the soils have been depleted, so our foods have less nutrients in them than they used to. They still, if they're if they're being sustained well, they're you know the, the organic farmers and or just good farmers who can't claim that they have organic practices because the federal government won't allow them to do it. But they're they're doing well by having good soils. You want to be able to have those foods that are grown and have the best nutrient supply in those foods. But in many cases, if we aren't getting a good source of nutrient, we're going to need additional supplementation. We're going to 
need something what I call superfood, uh, concentrated nutrients or super or concentrated food sources. So we do recommend supplementation to help support what they're what we're also recommending from a nutritional standpoint to help those cells to start to do that regeneration process to start to repair. To to start at the biochemical biological level. Um and all the research now also that's coming out with linking uh, our gut bacteria to brain functioning to mood. And I look at our society and we talked about how stress is a, a seed of a lot of things. And we look at a stressful society, a stressful way of life, and we look for that easy fix. We're trained to look for that easy food, the easy fix because of time. And then when you poison your gut, now that they're linking, poisoning your gut, which is directly, it's like your second brain, your mood is thus affected. And with all these poisons we eat, then you add the band-aids of pharmacology on top of it. I mean, I love the car analogy. Uh, The video I referenced already once that I did a little bit ago is I said, look, you don't change the oil on your car after the engine blows, do you? No, right. right. You, you. That's what I saw therapy and recovery as is. All right, I'm here. I blew my engine. Instead of going, look, feed it right, sleep it right, take care of it right. The brain functions right. Then you, like you said in the beginning of this podcast, the people leaving artesian wellness and the ones that you're treating this way and have been come back to you and say, hey, I still got problems, but I can handle them. And for me and any other practitioner, we know what a patient or a client sounds like when it's that false. Uh, confidence when they say, hey, I'm all better. All my problems are gone. You start going, ah, shit. But when they come back and they go, hey, I still got problems, but I got this. All of that is linking to sleep, nutrition, to how we hold the body, how we take care of our gut that feeds our brain. And we got to stop treating the symptoms and, and, and go to the root of where we find it. And there's a question lingering in this. I promise you, Dr. Jones Collins, um, it, it's coming. And I, I look at, we've talked about, and I, and I feel a little bad. I, I attacked the physicians with my, my setup, and you said it. They are approached by patients now that are misinformed, that are webmd to the teeth and have Googled themselves doctored, and they think they know what they're doing. My wife deals with it. She's an ARMP in the ER, and every day she's being told what she's supposed to do. I mean, a guy asks me one time, he goes, hey, uh, you got a pill for addiction, don't you? And I was like, wow. And so we're programmed to do this. And those doctors are being beat up from both sides, too. They're taking it from insurance companies. They're taking it from unruly patients that go, hey, give me the pill. I don't have to do anything myself. Um, But I wonder, here comes the question. You know, we talked about the medical people calling holistic people, uh, chiropractors, et cetera. We all know it. They, they, for a while, we'd call them quacks, et cetera. The, the medical industry was ignoring this holistic approach. They would attack chiropractors and holistic doctors. Oh, you're all quacks, et cetera. And we said, follow the money. But it's that medical model versus this holistic model is where I think people get lost with the idea of the brain disease. Do we... Do we perpetuate the idea that this is a brain disease, even though a lot of evidence that Dr. Carl Hart talks about gears away from this idea? Or does the disease model just help push the medical 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 model approach that is pushing pharmacology and recidivism rates, et cetera? 
Oh, that's an incredible question. Um, the, you know, what is disease? I think let's start there. Uh, if you go back years ago and you break that down to dis-ease, it's something's going on in the body that says it's not working. Um, and the body is a physiological, biochemical, electrical uh, process with manifestations at the emotional level, uh, psychological level, um, the memory level. Um, and if we just look at the body in that way, the medical model uh, is designed to put a name on a collection of symptoms, i.e., if my blood sugar process, my pancreas, my adrenal glands, and my liver, and even the brain is involved to that to degree, uh, is not working, that collection of symptoms I have as a result of those organs not working well, uh, I put a name on it of diabetes. I don't because I don't ascribe to that medical model, okay, of putting that name on it. What I'm seeing that's important to do is to look at where the body process is not working and why it's not working as opposed to that name. Now, when a client comes to us and says, I have this diabetes, I have this um, psoriasis, I have arthritis, I have uh, um, platelet problems, all of those kinds of things. Those are a good starting point for us to go, okay, these organs are not working. Why are they not working? And you referred to the gut. The gut is loaded with neurotransmitters. Um, the, the gut, the bowel, okay, in past, most, um, most even medical practitioners looked at the bowel as a collection depot of waste to be eliminated we did not look at that bowel as uh, an a, a extremely important active organ that has all kinds of purposes, i.e. the second brain where those neurotransmitters are. Um, that's in fact, just to kind of step aside a bit, part of our treatment modality is to use IV amino acids. Why do we use intravenous amino acids? amino acids being the building blocks of protein, they bypass the gut, okay? When we take in for repair oral amino acids and other nutrients, our gut, it gobbles up those nutrients, and so a much smaller amount finally wakes it, makes its way to the brain because when the addiction client comes to us, most of them have post-acute withdrawal syndrome. I won't go into exactly what that is, but that feels awful for that client. It basically means that they're not able to focus. They're so agitated. They're so uncomfortable. They're anxious. They're depressed. They can't sleep. That they can't really do the work, the psychosocial work of addiction. But when we use IV amino acids, 
to those amino acids going straight up into the brain, what happens, that repair process starts almost immediately. And those neurons that produce those neurotransmitters start their repair right away. And usually by the third or the fourth IV, this client is saying, I don't have post-acute withdrawal syndrome anymore. I don't have these symptoms. And then what we see is that client can now engage in the, the psychotherapeutic work, dealing with the relationships that have been impaired as a result of the drug use. As a result of that, that disease process, that dis-ease process of the brain and the body not working. You know, when people don't feel well, let's just take someone who has um, cancer, for example, or diabetes. You know, many times that person is so biochemically impaired, they're also agitated. They're also angry. They're um, anxious. They're depressed. And so their relationships get impaired as well. They start to experience all kinds of, of psychosocial problems. But we don't focus there in the medical community. If a person has a tumor, for example, a cancer, we go straight to, let's give them a medication. Let's do chemotherapy. Let's do radiation. Let's do surgery. And in the meantime, the emotional impact of the biopsychosocial impact of that disease is wrecking havoc on their marriages, on their, how they're dealing with their children on their jobs. I mean, all things are in disrepair at that point, but that's not what we hear, but it's definitely there um, when there is a disease process going on uh, in other diseases besides addiction. I really parallel the disease of addiction or that process of addiction very similar to other chronic degenerative diseases. And thus our approach is one to deal with this as a biochemical, physiological process that the person that we want to get started, that repair process, so then they can deal with those issues that have occurred in, you know, as a result of that addiction. Yes, granted, um, the person um, has lots of issues many times as a result of what happens to the brain, that addictive aspect of it, whether it's theft you know, to get the drug. Um, and you just name the different kinds of things that happen. Manipulation within the family to try and get enough money to buy those expensive drugs uh, and or alcohol to support the addiction. What happens with the IV amino acids is then after, again, that third or fourth IV, that craving goes away. That craving is there in part because the neurotransmitters are in disrepair. You fix the neurotransmitters and a lot of the craving goes away. It's just really exciting to see. and We see it over and over again. I appreciate you trying to clear up the, uh, <clears throat> the idea about the disease itself and, you know, the definition of it. And a lot of times people that are dealing with uh, addiction, etc., they take on the definition of the disease as if, like, it is a personal defect or a personal flaw within them that's not correctable, that they just have to manage with <clears throat> maintenance some kind throughout their life. And I think that manifestation of the definition of disease is dangerous and helps perpetuate the relapse world of what recovery has been sold as. 
Exactly. And if you look at the diagnosis, um, if you look at the definition by the American Medical Association, that it's a chronic relapsing brain disorder. It's, it, relapse is built into the definition that it's inevitable. I totally disagree with that piece of it. Now, thank, that's what's thank been you for my, out. Thank you for, I had to interrupt. Thank you for that, Dr. Joan Collins, because two things happened to me. I, I'm referencing Rogan again. When he asked me if I thought it was a disease, I quickly went, no. And I got flack for that. <clears throat> and what I meant was, by definition of the medical model approach of disease, no, it is not that. It is not a guaranteed relapse. So thank you for making that happen for me and backing me up there because that and, and even giving me a chance to to explain more what I meant. But um, continue, please. Well, if you if you compare it to di to diabetes, for example, is that a chronic relapsing disorder? Well, no, it doesn't have to be if that person totally changes their lifestyle, they change their diet, they change their exercise patterns, their blood sugar levels return to normal, and they do that for the next 20, 30, 40 years, and their blood sugars stay normal. Now, if they go back to the former lifestyle that caused that diabetes type 2 to, to happen in the first place, of course they're going to relapse into it. But if they maintain the lifestyle, does the doctor say you don't have diabetes anymore? Well, if they have, let's say, a year, two years, five years, that person's not returning to a doctor because they have the symptoms of diabetes anymore. It's gone because the organs have repaired themselves. They have regenerated. They are functioning normally. And with the right nutrition to support the, that organ function, the job it's supposed to do in the first place of maintaining a good, stable blood sugar so that you have the right amount of glucose that feeds the brain. When you have that, you don't have the symptoms, the, the emotional symptoms of hypoglycemia. Now, the physiological symptoms of hypoglycemia go away as well which in part can be craving, craving for sugar, craving for simple uh, carbohydrates, uh, the headaches of hypoglycemia. They don't have them. They don't have the butterflies in their stomach, the tingling in their hands and feet. The, um, it, there's, it's just amazing because that chronic disease of diabetes, it goes away. Same thing for heart disease. A person has a heart attack. And they, um, that damage to the heart, all right, they go on a really good nutritional program. They go on an exercise program. They learn how to do things that stop the stress in their life. Not that we don't have stress, but they learn how to handle that stress. Five years later, 10 years later, they do a stress test and that person is in better shape than they were when they were in their 20s. Did they regenerate? Do they still have heart disease? I don't think so. I think they've regenerated. You might have a scar here and there from the old, you know, the old way, but the heart is now functioning because we're supplying it with the nutrition. That muscle has gotten stronger. That heart muscle has gotten stronger. 
because of the exercise that we're doing. You know, one of the reasons that we suggest um, how important it is for people to exercise, that aerobic exercise, is because your vascular system, the arteries and the veins, do a job in transporting good nutrition around to those cells. So the cells are able to do their job. They're getting fueled or they're being given food uh, so that they can stay strong. And so exercise is important because it's, it helps the transport of the nutrients around to the cells, including the brain. Yes, all of them. Uh, the more you talk, the more I'm like, I'm, I'm almost like, start doing this. Uh, thank you. And, you know, like you make me want to go to war with you, you know, and, and help people and change. And, you know, when we were taught as, you know, practitioners um, back then, when, look, taking prescription and counseling together, research has all shown is worked and was much better. Uh, even though you watch the whole medical model basically just go here, just take this, just take this, just take this. And they came further and further away from mixing counseling with you know the treatment and now finally hopefully we can get this push going back this other way where instead of pharmacology and counseling we start to mix the uh, i love what you call it the lifestyle disease i think that's the wording i may start to use is the lifestyle disease of addiction diabetes cancer when we take the holistic approach nutritional approach sleep exercise etc and we give the body what it's missing we balance it back out do that with counseling and changing your life. Now I think this is the approach that we have, uh, that all of us as a community and practitioners, as mental health counselors, as holistic, et cetera, need to keep forcing and driving that way. Absolutely. And I spoke earlier about using um, IV amino acids. Now we know that we are doing something to that client, to that, that person, to help them uh, get over that post-acute withdrawal syndrome, all right, to stop that addiction so that they can engage in the therapy. Um, and we do that through working with our integrative physician. However, we also know, going back to the life, this being a lifestyle disease, that it's extremely important that what we're doing in our addiction treatment center is we're working with that client in life skills. The person who has an addiction many times doesn't know the first thing about what kind of food or fuel their body needs or that cell needs. So they need to learn. We take, uh, we take them. I'm actually sitting in the room with me as our wellness director, um, Kat, who takes our clients to the grocery store. They walk the aisles. They look at the labels on the foods. Um, they learn what um, areas of the, the store to shop in, and that's the produce section mostly. Um, they stay away from all of the processed food sections where the cans and the boxes and that type of thing that really have no nutrient value for that person. So they go on field trips, and they go on you know, frequently, and... Our clients learn how to do their own shopping. We teach them how to do their food preparation. Um, in addition, because their bodies are so um, nutrient um, deficient, 
that we also use live uh, vegetable juices and live uh, smoothies, where it's what we call our intensive nutritional approach, where they are getting massive amounts of phytonutrients, food nutrients uh, into their system uh, that feed that gut fiber to take care of that, that bowel function. Um, the, we are continuing that detox process with them to get out the um, years and years of old you know, waste that have accumulated in their systems and supplies their body with um, these nutrients. We tell them as they attend our wellness classes and we're doing a lot of in vivo demonstration that we want them to become their own best doctors. We want them to learn about their own bodies so that they know what to do. They know how to take care of themselves. So that's a huge portion of our treatment center is learning how to take care of themselves. Um, you know, the, one of the first things in our partial hospitalization program, um, they do what we call a beach walk. Uh, first thing in the morning, they may go for a half hour, 40 minutes. They walk uh, barefoot on the beach on this, in that sand. Um, the electromagnetic energy coming up from the earth. Um, there's a lot of research now being shown about that grounding or earthing. And that electromagnetic energy coming up from the earth actually helps balance their own electromagnetic system. So we use a lot of natural uh, modalities here. Um, aromatherapy. We have these plugins in our, um, in our treatment center that are, um, for example, one of the, the uh, scents, um, that oil, natural oil, is citrus, and that helps with alertness so that in the rooms where they are doing their uh, group therapies, we've got aromatherapy helping balance their brain and their electromagnetic system. We've got these same things back at the housing they stay in, but we're using lavender and that those types of oils that actually help with relaxation to help relax the body. And we teach them about this because these are things they can do themselves after they go home. And, you know, our support to them is that we want this to be their last stop. We don't want them to relapse. Um, we don't teach them in our groups that relapse is a part of recovery. Okay. It can be if you learn something from it, but not to expect relapse. If you go, if you take this information home, if you purpose to make the change in your life, you never want to return to this disease model again, you don't have to relapse. If you tempt yourself. Now, one of the things that, that has happened with a few of our clients, um, we call this a, a lapse, not a relapse. We've had an occasional client or two that when they go home, after three, four, five, six months, they go, you know what? I'm feeling so good. I can just have that cocktail. Or can't I return to, you know, having a social drink from time to time? Because I don't feel like an addict anymore. I feel wonderful. And in many cases, we'll get that call and go, you know what? I took that drink last night. I had several. 
And I know I can't do that, but they're calling us. We don't call that a relapse. They're not returning to that old, their body's all back into that. You know, they're hooked back again. They don't have to go back through detox. They may say, you know what, can I come in for, you know, a couple of groups? Um, can I attend a wellness class? That type of thing. They, after they've had the IV amino acids, if they do have what we call that lapse, they don't return like they would if they haven't had that biochemical uh, treatment approach, that natural biochemical treatment approach. Yeah, the recidivism that she's talking about here, people, just to be clear, um, when you're looking at, say, your typical Medicaid, Medicare uh, hospital that uses that uh, symptomatic treatment approach and pharmacology approach uh, that teaches nothing about lifestyle, teaches nothing and just sends them back out in the world with no tools but a piece of paper and a prescription, you're looking, I would honestly say, 2 to 5% recovery. Some research has shown 10, but either way, we got another 90% of what she's talking Talking about as a flip side of her, which is more about 10, maybe 10 to 15 percent, I'm guessing, is maybe may call you back with 85 percent recovering. Yes, absolutely. And this is pretty consistent with um, my colleagues in this industry that uh, use a similar approach. Um, the ranges go from what I've heard is 78 percent, 85 percent, and and even that relapse within that 15, 20% range, uh, if the person leaves, okay, they may have done well while they're in treatment, they may feel wonderful. Um, if they take themselves back into an environment that is highly stressful and they don't have the support system to make those lifestyle changes that they, they need to make, then those are the folks that I'm seeing that are relapsing, um, that, you know, that percentage. But what's, what is so neat about this approach? Let me give you a couple of examples. Okay. Um, I'm thinking of, um, a man in his thirties who came into us who wasn't quite acknowledging that he was really an addict because he was addicted to prescription medication. <laughs> and does, what did we count, think, right? you know? any kind of nutrition was going to do for him pretty, pretty negative about it. But okay, if you're saying this, I guess I'll try this. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do what you're saying. By about the third week with this particular client, he was feeling so good that he had had a he had a young child, a one year old, he was now converting from being a disbeliever to, uh, I can't believe how well I feel to, okay, you've got to tell me, you've got to talk with my wife. So um, she knows how to do these juices. So she knows how to do this because I'm, you know, I want to make sure that my son grows up with this kind of information. I didn't know about this before and I want to make sure that he grows up with this as well. That man today, this is almost three years now, clean and sober today, has another child. It's a lifestyle change for he, his wife, his children. Um, that's why we do this, because we're now seeing someone who's not only not relapsing, but has you know definitive goals of living a life where 
He's productive with his work. His family is learning how to do what he learned how to do. Let me give you another example. A man who had been to, I think he was in his late 60s when he came to us. He had been to treatment centers over and over and over again. And he had um, full body psoriasis. If you know what psoriasis is, it's a scaling kind of weeping skin disorder where big, large scales of skin on the scalp and skin fall off everywhere. You know, if you have a dark shirt, it's, it's going to look like huge flakes of dandruff. And his was so bad that in the van that we used to transport our clients back and forth between where they um, are community housing and the treatment center is we had to put sheets down because the van would just be so covered with these flakes. Very, very embarrassing for him. Um, he had type two diabetes. He was on, he was insulin dependent uh, two times a day, long acting insulin, short uh, insulin uh, term. He had high blood pressure. He was on that blood pressure medication twice a day. He had um, platelet difficulties and um, his physician had told him that his platelets would never be any different than the number 50. He had hepatitis C. Um, and so the man was really sick. In addition to being an alcoholic, chronically so, all his life, um, his cognitive functioning was really impaired. And he was, he was pretty inappropriate in terms of just how he saw his life. Um, and we really wondered it, it, if he was going to be able to come back from a brain standpoint. In fact, it, it would, the old term for that is wet brain, you know, a person who's been an alcoholic for so long that they really are, their, their cognitive function, their memory is just in such disrepair that they really at some level will need institutionalization, whether it's an assisted living facility or a long-term care facility. In this case, his family had been supporting him and helping, you know, helping um, provide him with a part-time job so he had something of value to do. This man, okay, within several weeks of put, being put on our, uh, in his case, he went basically raw food vegan. He was doing all of the juices and the smoothies. Um, he told us that he was going to do this 100%. We also put him on some nutrients to support um, helping with the psoriasis. And when you take a person off of dairy, the grains, uh, in his case, the sugars, that also goes a long way to support that uh, repair, that autoimmune disease from having that psoriasis. By that, I think it was about two, at two and a half weeks. I'm going to tell you, Adam, that full body psoriasis was gone. Gone. Okay. And uh, we talked to him several years later now. That's not returned. Okay. Wow. His diabetes, we had to call in um, a physician's group to take him off of his insulins because his diabetes had gone into quote unquote remission. So he was not manifesting diabetes anymore. He was taken off his blood pressure medications. Wow. His platelet count 
that supposedly could not repair. That's a bone marrow, okay? Um, being able to produce um, platelets, all right? Had, had gone up to 75. That's in a 28-day period of time of just adhering to a biochemical, a natural biochemical approach to feeding his body um, so well that his own body can regenerate and deal with those chronic degenerative diseases. Now, the important part also was his brain. By the time he left us, he had good brain function. He was setting good goals. His uh, mood was appropriate to the situation. Uh, his mood when he first came in, I would have said, was inappropriate. He was, um, it just, he would laugh in situations that were not funny. So he was not, you know, he was not functioning that well. And yeah. so his, his mood became appropriate. He was, his brain was functioning again. So even your brain can uh, regenerate and repair well, his neurotransmitters. Sorry. It was wonderful to see this. And how many psychotropic medications would that have taken? Or do you suppose if you had to deal with the brain functioning, all of that stuff, what would be the typical medical uh, prescription regimen for that? Uh, the typical, typical prescription uh, which also damage the organs and, you know, down the road, you know, you're not going to be able to function well. Your kidneys don't work. Your liver doesn't work um, because of damage from a cortisone standpoint. Um, the, the, the insulin, you know, continues to perpetuate. It perpetuates weight gain. It perpetuates the pancreas not working. Um, the psychotropic drugs, the antidepressants, the sleep medications, the anti-anxieties, um, his body would have remained toxic. He still would have had a psoriasis. He just would have been still a sick man. And, and taken, uh, I think you named seven medications, just their p potential medication treatments for... Right, right, absolutely. Wow. And look, you're preaching to the choir here, uh, obviously. Uh, I, too, had psoriasis uh, develop on my elbows, and... Uh, I was uh, about 45 pounds heavier than I am now. I was ex-football player, so I was always kind of thick and thought I was in shape and went to this clean, organic eating and dropped 45 pounds in about two months or less. Uh, it's all proven on Facebook, too, people, so you can look it all up. And within two weeks, my light psoriasis on the elbow, gone. Lower back pain, gone. Uh, heartburn, gone. Uh, I could sleep for hours, um, and also a lot of people, you take sleep for granted, and I'm going to say something now, that if you hear anybody tell you you have to be willing to lose sleep to be successful, I'm going to tell you to walk away from them. You have to be willing yeah. to get sleep to be successful in life, in health, in mind, and body, and I did not realize that, and until I switched to eating that, and I actually slept for eight hours regularly, oh my God. And if you're bipolar and lose sleep, uh, you're going to cycle faster. If you get off of sleep regimen, your metabolism goes to shit. Sleep is where it starts in my book. Nutrition second, exercise third, and then everything else you want to work holistically on top of that. Dr. Joan Collins, you, yes, I love you. <laughs> Thank you. And look at you. 
you're you're a walking demonstration of that this works. I mean, at some level, this sounds so simplistic. Doesn't it? How how could this be? But it is. We see it all the time, every day. Yeah, we said it, right? We were like, oh my God, could you believe that putting your body back in a natural balance with things that naturally existed on the earth made your brain and gut and things naturally work properly? Oh my God. Right. I know. Uh, you know it, what I you know what I learned last night, Doctor? I did not know this, but I was watching a um documentary last night, and maybe you can back this up if it's true. Um, thanks to Viceland. Shout out to Viceland. I love that new series. If you're not if you're on YouTube or anybody or look up Viceland, it's a new thing they do. But um I did not know where chemotherapy came from. Uh and I learned last night that chemotherapy in World War Two, a uh, boat carrying about 180 sailors was attacked and blown up, and all and about 85 percent of the men all died. But they ingested this mustard gas, and our government grabbed the bodies, tested them, and noticed that their lymph, lymph uh, lymphatic systems uh, had been lowered, and increased. And they said, "Wait a minute, maybe mustard gas can beat cancer." And all they did was spend the next 30 to 40 years modifying mustard gas to make chemotherapy. Yes, absolutely. It's we're, we're looking at something that is so toxic to the system. If you just think about cancer alone, cancer, well, let me step back and say, people look at the tumor as the cancer. That's not the cancer. The tumor is just the symptom of a full body disorder, a body that's out of balance that as a result, manifests is with a tumor. Okay, so what we do is we give something like a mustard gas, which is poison to the system, to go after that symptom, the tumor, to make it go away. But the fact of the matter is that cancer still exists because the body that was out of balance produced that in the first place. So why not go after having the body get back into balance because it is meant to get rid of those cancer cells in the first place. Everybody has cancer cells in their body. And most of the time, if our immune system is working well, we keep them in advance or we the body destroys them, all right, as opposed to putting something else that's so poisonous to the system um, going in and uh, destroying more cells. That mustard gas is poisoning to the entire system. It kills everything. The entire system. Yeah, it kills everything. Now, I and I too got to back myself up. Look, I'm not saying that chemo doesn't help or hasn't saved lives or working maybe that approach as a last resort after your entire holistic and even cannabis approach with the cannabinoid system that we have. Um, you know, is always ways to possibly approach it. But so I don't want to sound, you know, naive in, in, in that sense. But I did not know that all that chemotherapy came from was, hey, look at these dead guys that died from mustard gas. Let's study mustard gas. And if you came to me and you said, hey, man, about, uh, I don't know, what's longer now, about 50, 60, whatever years ago, uh, 70 years ago, uh, these guys died of mustard gas. And we've been working on it since. And we developed this. And yeah, it'll kill your cancer cells, but it'll kill every other good cell in your body at the same time you want to try it. Absolutely. 
Um, and probably some of the more progressive approaches using chemotherapy are to use very micro doses of chemotherapy, targeted chemotherapy that um, goes straight to where that tumor symptom is, okay? And getting rid of the tumor. The reason to go after the tumor is because when a tumor gets large enough, it starts to um, put pressure on uh, nerves, which are painful. Uh, it starts to impede uh, the circulatory system. So it, the, the symptom of the tumor can start to impair enough that something many sometimes has to be done about the symptom if it's gone that long. But if, it's, if cancer is early, there are so many demonstrated um, uh, successful results of using a natural approach. When nutrition in and of itself doesn't work is when the person has gone the traditional route, has used chemotherapy, um, has used radiation over and over again, and now the immune system is so suppressed and impaired, and the, the medical community has said, well, we're sorry, there's no more we can do for you, is many times that's when the person in their last-ditch effort then resorts to nutrition and hopes that it will work. The lack of success in nutrition in those areas is what gets reported um, to the community that nutrition doesn't work with cancer. They're not reporting the whole story. They're not telling you what is the damage that's already been done to the body. There's a point of no return if we do enough to our bodies in terms of damaging it that nutrition can only do so much. However, there is always that hope. Um, and I can give you uh, several, several examples of, of of that hope where you would think everything, everything is, is, uh, hopeless. Well, you, the, uh, the guy you just spoke about is definitely one of those. Exactly. Let me tell you about an example and I'm not going to share with you who this is, but a person that, um, had come to us and had, um, this person had a loved one who was in complete liver failure and complete uh, kidney failure. He had been in the intensive care unit. Um, he was at moments psychotic as a result of that liver failure. Um, had an episode of, of binge drinking um, that had just really impaired everything and had put every, all the organs into failure. This person was told, the family was told to take him home on hospice. There was nothing they could do. He had been on dialysis. He had ascites, which is where the, the belly fills up with fluid, where the fluid would have to be tapped um, to drain that fluid. And um, when this person, this family member was told, came to us, said, is there anything we can do? And so what I said to, to this person was, do this, can't guarantee anything, but put him on juices and smoothies. Do not give him any cooked food at all. 
because cooked food, um, when you have liver failure, your body can't process any cooked food, even if, it, even if it's good food. You just can't process it. And so put him on juices and smoothies, just a little bit at a time, teaspoonfuls. Took him home. All right. Again, he was on dialysis. Um, you generally don't come back when the kidney's in complete failure. This man today, this is now two and a half years ago, I think about that amount of time, is working today um, uh, at the University of Miami. They, his liver is in full function. He's regenerated himself a new liver. Okay, apparently he had enough liver. We lost her virtually for one second, two seconds, and we were back to the show. But you know, when you're dying, and they're sending you home on hospice, it doesn't really matter, does it, if you're, you're not going to make it. Um, he, he's well today, doing extremely well. Wow. Wow. And, this is, this, and all we did was start with him with the juices and the smoothies. See, I, and, for, and granted, we're talking cancer here at the end, but I also want people to remember that Joan is in the field here of addiction and battling that. And uh, if you're driving and listening to this podcast now or you're watching live or whatever, uh, and you've been through the racket, you've been told you're diseased, you've been told this is the only way, you relapse is a part of recovery, if you're sitting there going, what the heck, I don't get it, then I, I hope you listen to this truthfully and you really see this. You reach out to Artesian Wellness and Recovery. Reach out to Dr. Joan Collins, Eric Brooke Kemmer, uh, all of those that are, are over there in Port St. Lucie that are, are doing this the right way, that are taking the nutritional approach, the lifestyle approach. You don't have to relapse. It doesn't have to be your life. You can change, like you just heard, you can change dying moments into years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me mention a while ago when we were talking about um, cancer, there is a guy, he's, I think he's 89 now. Um, He's much like you who have a passion for helping people find resources for people to get well. Uh, He's Dr. Burton Goldberg. And he, um, in fact, just got an email not too long ago about this, I had mentioned this low-dose chemo, and he is referring people to integrative physicians who are using this low-dose chemo um, and helping support the body nutritionally so it can truly get well from things like cancer. Wow. Um, yeah, so uh, we, you know, I'm going to have to track this guy down. Maybe Doc will uh, yes. come on and talk about it on the show. Oh, that would, you would love him. That would be a, a great thing to do. Another person, you know, sometime back we were talking about the stress mm-hmm. uh, and the impact on what happens from a disease standpoint. There's another resource, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Uh, she is a, uh, a researcher, um, a neuro researcher. And one of the things that she does is she actually is able to measure with the instrumentation that we have available today, your MRIs and that type of thing, uh, what the impact of uh, our thoughts have on changing the brain. And so 
you know, we approach this from a biochemical standpoint. We help people change their thinking, um, this fatalistic thinking. Uh, that's part of our lifestyle classes. Um, the, the thought, so you think, so you are. In other words, what your thoughts are uh, lead to the manifestation of how you behave and, and even the impact on your cells. And she has demonstrated that from a, a neurological standpoint. Uh, so she's another great resource and someone that would be great for your show as well. Thank you. Uh, and for I will definitely look them up. And for those also listening, where I get a lot of my uh, um, science and backing research when I'm talking about gut bacteria or anything, vitamin D even, there's a lot of research out to vitamin D that's pushing a mood control um, but Dr. Rhonda Patrick with Found My Fitness, she has a podcast, uh, a book. She's all over the place. But Dr. Rhonda Patrick is a wonderful source. I quote her in my book multiple times. Um, she is a heck of a of a resource for anybody that believes in this, uh, the biochemical approach. I don't care if you believe in it, dang it. It's true. So uh, change your belief, all right? <laughs> so, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. One of, the, one of the things I wanted to do, Adam, is you had referred to me as Dr. Collins. And I want to explain this to our listening audience to tell our audience in some of the uh, difficulties we have today in being able to make our message known. Um, my title is I am a naturopathic doctor. I am board certified at the federal level. Um in the state of Florida, however, I am not able to practice as a naturopathic doctor. What? They don't, they, you know, I am not all, allowed leave, to be licensed here. Leave it to Florida. So I, leave it to Florida to be the, man, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I know. I know. And this is unfortunate. Now, I'm also a master herbalist, uh, certified natural health practitioner. I am a registered nurse. Um, I've been doing this for the last 50 years, so have that clinical expertise. I am supported by the Alliance for Addiction Solutions, and that's an organization that um, have a common goal of treating addiction in a natural way, um, a food, a foods-based uh, nutrition, um, so that we can help people really get well. But I think our audience needs to know that, that we have a lot of barriers yet to, to helping people. Now, I am so passionate about this. Um, I love the fact that I, ha that I am a naturopathic doctor and I, um, I have that knowledge base and those years of experience. Um, and I do that I, with our clients when they come in. You know, I have the disclaimer that I cannot practice naturopathy in the state of Florida. So they know that about me, and um, but that does not stop me from being able to help people really get well. Um, well, I'm, and, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead and, we, and we see the results of it. We see the effect of it. I think that's probably why Eric and Brooke Kemmer, um, you know, once they heard about you, because they've seen the evidence of it here as well. He hunted me down. Uh, that he did, uh, and I love him for it. And I'm glad you brought this up because uh, I'm going to spend the last minutes on this, honestly. Um, 
the all right i have major problems with the licensure um path if you will to treating uh to becoming either a licensed clinical social worker or a licensed mental health counselor uh and the same idea with treatment now i'm gonna say uh, i'm gonna be a lot less pc here um you're smarter than me and you've been doing this longer which is why <laughs> so uh i'm gonna be the dumb young one here and go hey um you can't beat the lawyers and the medical model and the physicians that own the state of Florida. The physicians own this state. It's the reason the Florida model, as Eric Kimmer brought up on our show, it's the reason the Florida model owns this. It's the reason the Florida model is pushed, continued, and spread, even with a 5 to 10% recovery rate. And I'm going to produce a film called Chemical Incarceration very soon, which is going to prove the correlation to the spread of the opiate epidemic, chronic pain, and addiction with and be, with it being parallel to the spread of the Florida model. So as the Florida model has spread from Florida to California, so has the opiate epidemic and the opiate addiction. They have pushed this epidemic on purpose. They have drove it with this model. And Dr. Joan Collins, you, the naturopathic doctors, the chiropractors, the ones that all of that a lot of these physicians attack and call quacks because it doesn't make them trillions of dollars can kiss my ass because this is about saving people Getting people's lives together. This is saving moms and children and, and daughters and brothers. And I could give a shit whether some doctor thinks that he's allowed to treat or shouldn't treat people. When it's about saving your life, saving your daughter's lives, your son's lives, you pull out all the stops. And I, I can't – I'm so angry at the fact and that the physicians' unions own this fucking state and they won't let us practice and help and really get in there and they attack us and they call us quacks and, and to get a license for a mental health counselor i do all the counseling anybody else does all the internships all the everything else but then they make me go two more years to talk to one person for one hour a week and i can do it no faster for two years so i pay them more money to pass their stupid little test to say that i can practice and help people they make it longer. They take more money from people that are good at helping people. There are tons of counselors out there that could help people, and they're not allowed to based on stupid state regulations owned by giant rich corporations that continue continue to allow people to die as they get rich. End of rant. <laughs> right. And I think the public, particularly those who um, had the pain of, addiction and the families that have had the pain of addiction know that there's got to be something better. And I think people really are starting to listen. And it's people like you who are willing to step out there and, and make that effort, who are so passionate. Adam, you're so passionate about this. I love that about you. I think um, this work that you're doing is just so important. If we're going to save people's lives, we're talking about people dying here and having an approach that works and your, your evidence of look at you, look at what you did in your own life. People can see it physically and you've been willing to step out there and make this happen and bring people together. Um, I applaud you, you know, for the work that you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. I, I have my moments and, 
Heck, I, you know what was, I don't know, I laugh about it now, and I hate to keep bringing up Joe Rogan, I really do, but that was a pivotal moment in my life, going on that show and saying that. I don't want to sound like a name writer, a dropper, a piggybacker, so I'm sorry if I say that too much, but it was a pivotal role, in my, a pivotal moment in my life, and do you know that I was fired from both of my jobs as a clinical therapist before I even returned from L.A. after appearing, after appearing on that show? Because it didn't fit the model. That's right. And um, if we look at the model and what all is supporting it, it's not just the pharma. The pharmaceutical industry is, is a major, major piece of this. But if we look at the insurance model as well, it is medically driven. It's medically driven because even in our center, we accept insurance here. Okay. But we have to have a medical diagnosis. It's got to appear as if all of those standard medical uh, steps are being taken, taken into account. You've got to have a psychiatrist, and we work with our psychiatrist to try and limit um, medication. Uh, we want them to, um, but it then becomes the struggle because the insurance wants you to produce medication and wants you to put these people on medication. That's what they're paying for. They're paying for medication. They're paying for a diagnosis. They're paying for, uh, let's demonstrate that this person is, um, psychologically has all of these diagnoses, um, that many of those diagnoses, by the way, are just biochemical manifestations, um, these the mood disorders, uh, the depressive disorders, the anxiety disorders, they're biochemical issues. All right. And we put a name on it so that the insurance will pay for a medication. Medic and the insurance company will not pay for our nutritional approach, our IV amino acids. They won't pay for it. And you know, you know what I think is terrible about the insurance part too. Which I, these are supposed to be business savvy people. And uh, uh, Rick, Renee Regnon, who was on my show, a um, uh, just check out the show. She was awesome. I love her. Uh, she said it very clear. She goes, I don't understand why insurance people, insurance companies aren't more interested. She was talking about the cannabis approach, etc. But why more people wouldn't be interested as an insurance CEO. If I come to you and you have an 85% recovery rate versus a 5 to 10% recovery rate in traditional what I pay for. Well, insurance companies make money by paying out less and collecting more premium. So the idea is you would want to heal them faster. If insurance was smart, you know, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, even Medicaid, if they were smart, they would support this and pay for it because they say, look, I'm going to pay less in the long run with this client. Absolutely. Unequivocally. So why? What What's behind that? Um, is there not enough uh, proof of this? Now, here's where the challenge comes in. The pharmaceutical industry, the medical industry will use terms like, um, well, we are evident, the, the approach we use, is, it's evidence-based. Well, no, it's not, okay? Uh, because the pharmaceutical industry does their small amount of research. It's presented to the FDA. The FDA accepts that research as the evidence-based. It's sold to the physician. 
that this is evidence-based and the physician then repeats this over and over and over again. This medication I'm using is evidence-based, okay? But it's not really. Empirical right. data does not mean what it used to. Help peer-reviewed doesn't mean what it used to. Money makes right. academics say what it wants to. Money makes research say what you want it to. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's the world we live in. And again, we're back to the big lobbyists that get paid, that control the rules, that make the legislation down to everybody. And meanwhile, people are dying, Joan. And and, and we're stuck to go, oh, well, I don't want to lose a whatever, go to jail or be called a quack, right? We don't want to be called names and quacks, dude. I mean, that's like the first approach. What? Because I haven't been trained on some medical approach that has nothing to do with getting your body healthy, your mind healthy, your lifestyle healthy. You know, and we're just we're fighting all this. It's funny. I almost call it red tape. But being the Native American, I always switch it and go, we're fighting all this white tape. But all of, <laughs> all of this white tape that just it doesn't allow you to help. And I, I'm so glad you brought up that evidence based practice, because, you know, what evidence also exists in those trin- clinical drug trials are people died. And as long as yeah. it, as long as the amount of people that don't die isn't high enough and proportionate to the lawsuits they'll receive versus the money they'll make, well, then the FDA okays people dying. The FDA goes, okay, stamp. They approve knowing people will take a medication and die. It's considered, I don't think they call it collateral damage, <laughs> but it's acceptable amounts of death. That's right. And in fact, some of the latest figures on uh, deaths in the United States, I think it's around 790 some thousand deaths a year are medically induced. That makes the number one killer in the United States iatrogenic, meaning it is caused by our medical treatments. In its reactive nature. And it's reactive nature. And look, I, you brought up a point earlier in the show, too. I will give kudos to our, met, uh, to our mechanical side of science. If I break something, if, you, if they have to rebuild me, oh, my God, our medical side of the mechanical functioning of our body, bones, ligaments, it is amazing. I mean, we can grow muscles in Petri dishes and shit. I mean, it's getting nuts. And so I think that is amazing. But this, but away from the the mechanical side of medical into these chemical uh, induced states of pharmacology and, and and messing with the balance of natural. This is where we are young. Our research is minimal in the brain. I think the brain holds a lot of the answers to the future uh, with mental health, etc. That's why I'm kind of leaning that way in particular. But when you start dosing your brain with all kinds of antidepressants and uh, Xanaxes and uh, God knows what else, it ta- it can take months to go back to baseline, right? Absolutely. What we tell people is you're looking at when you're starting our approach to really a good regeneration process, and that is you're looking at 18 to 24 months of the body uh, organs and cells getting back to normal when you're a good state of repair, when you're, you're staying persistent on using a good nutritional approach. Oh, I can hear the addicts now. Oh, 18 to 20 months. Who's got time for that? Give me the magic pill. I'll go to my weekly meeting. I'll check in and I'll just fight myself and, and love my personal deficits. And, and, oh my God. You know what I mean? When, and you know what? 
Adam, what will happen is there will be a reckoning day because it's not a matter of if I get this other disease or when I or if I might relapse. It's a guarantee it's going to happen. You're not going to be able to sidestep that cardiac disease, that cancer, um, those diagnoses that are coming down the pike if you continue your lifestyle. It's a guarantee. It's going to. And people will say, well, I have to die with something. No, you don't. That's not what we are intended to do. We're not supposed to go the way of disease when we die. We're just supposed to go to sleep and live a healthy, active life right up to that time. We're not supposed to go with disease. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I will go to war with you on this anytime. I am in your corner, Dr. Joan Collins, and Artesian Wellness Recovery Corner. Uh, it's a step to what we got to do. Um, will you do this again with us? I'd love to learn more because I know we're only opening up the cusp. There's research in your brain that I want to extract from you. Uh, there's knowledge and experience in your brain that I want to download from you and, and our guests. So uh, I'd love for you to return. Uh, I'd like to actually come down there and meet you in person and check out the place. And heck, I'd love to, to talk to people there. I, I, I don't know. I, I want to help here. So um, let, if I can. Uh, we would love to have you come down. And anybody listening who wants to come for a visit, we are certainly open for you to coming in any time. And um, I just know so many people, Adam, that would love to talk to you and support what you're doing. It's like, you know, we're all in this together. We really want people, and they can. People can. And that's the takeaway, I think, people. I, we, we, we did a lot of, well, I did a lot of angering. She did a lot of I'm smart and keep it together. But um Above the anger, if anything, what we want to, to, I would like to leave here with you is that it's real. You can change. It's not forever. Disease isn't forever. It doesn't mean you're stuck this way that I want to bring that, that hope, that there's hope at every level when you can change what you believe, when you can change what you've uh, experienced and make those positives in your life and go back to your body basics, go back to the natural world, the natural foods. You can... You know, I don't want to say find you again because I don't like the cliche of, you know, you got to find yourself. I would say that you have to begin to use yourself again. And, you know, Dr. Joan Collins, we thank you for helping people learn to use themselves again naturally and, and, and bring in hope. Thank you so much for having me talk with your group. Um, is We're just really as passionate as you are about it, and we really want to see people get well. Thank you. Oh yeah, give the PR rundown, the artesianwellness.com, all that all the fun PR stuff if you want to. Um unless you got a PR person for that, they can give you all the uh social media breakdown. Well, we um our website is artesianrecovery.com. We invite people to come on there. You can look at uh what we have uh up there about neurotransmitter recovery and that type of thing. We're located in Martin County, that's Stuart, Florida. We're the sailfish capital uh, of the world. We've got lots of good fishing here, a lot of sunshine. It's a wonderful place to be. It's a small community, so it's kind of an artsy community that people like to go downtown. Um, 
it's a good place to recover and uh, we can get you to the beach within uh, 15 minutes and that's where we do our beach walks and it's just a nice place and we have a wonderful staff so we absolutely invite people to take a look at our website um, our phone number is 772-320-1555 for a person who just wants to call in and inquire they can talk with myself they can talk with Eric and or Brooke Kammer who uh, got in contact with you or Kat Rennick, who is our wellness director. Uh, any one of us would be more than happy to talk with a person who may have heard this and uh, just want information. Uh, please reach out to somebody for help. You don't have to do it alone. We got about 30 seconds or less, 25 before uh, we turn into pumpkins here. Uh, and, um, again, you know, my last thank you, uh, I'll see you soon, Joan. Uh, thank you so much for doing the show and, uh, I love you to death. Thank you so much. We love you too. Keep up the fight. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed our show and, uh, our talk with Dr. Joan Collins, uh, founder of Artesian Wellness and Recovery in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Uh, I would suggest any of, uh, any of those you going through, addiction or battling that uh, I would suggest and offer uh, you know you I would tell you to call there uh, I don't back uh, any type of recovery place at all um, this is one that I would suggest for you so uh, there's no payment method here between them and myself either so uh, there's no endorsement um, reason for me to be sending you sending you there other than um, I believe it's the way I, I believe it's a new way it's a, it's part of the change it's what's real and it's what works and we may have ruffled some feathers or some beliefs that you have and what we were talking about and that's okay i think if uh, as long as we're having the conversation and the focus and the search of what all practitioners and researchers and scientists are trying to do which is help people and if <clears throat> the focus is on helping people Within the conversation, whether you agree or disagree with what we're talking about here, at least through those conversations, more research, more facts, more experiences can be shared. Uh, and, you know, I think that's what it's about in our field from medical to mental health to everyone in the care field. I think we need to be integrative. We have to begin to work together. We have to stop fighting amongst ourselves uh, through name calling or trying to verify whose research is better, etc., uh, or who's even able to say anything or help anybody. I think if we pull together as practitioners in every field that we can help each other and truly maybe get back to the reason we all got in this field, which was to help people. And I think sometimes if we get caught up in the debates or the fights or the arguments that we lose our why. We do it in politics and we do it in many things and sometimes in our marriages and relationships. But you have to get back to the why, why you were friends, why you're married, why you chose this profession, why we do it. And I think if we can revisit that together humbly, unbiasedly, and share our information and experiences, those that are practitioners in the field and those that have experienced the field, we can really do powerful things and do what we're meant to do, which was to heal and to help other people. But uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you again, Dr. Joan Collins, for coming on. Thank you again, Eric Kimmer and Brooke Kimmer, for reaching out to me uh, many months ago and coming and doing the show and leading me to uh, Dr. Joan Collins. I appreciate the work you all are doing 
uh, and all of the practitioners out there that are out there trying to help people and save people's lives every day. Um, that shows to you and a thank you to you and those of you trying to recover and get through things in life. I believe in you. We believe in you. You are a superhero and you can live your cognitive rampage. You can do this on your own if you got to, but reach out for help because the help can make you stronger. And I think that's what we got to aim to be as a field and as practitioners and as people is aim to be stronger. And I think we can do that together. I hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your cognitive rampage. Love you.